0: All right. So, uh, first of all, I'm apologizing for being a few minutes late. I'm actually quite scrupulous about time, but uh, every once in a while I have a conference call next door at uh, a, a, a class online from nine to ten, and this class starts at ten, and that requires bilocation, and it's a it's a uh, spiritual talent that I don't have. So here we are.
1: Hi, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Juliana. I'm the new volunteer coordinator at Spirit Rock, and um, some of you may be aware that we run a lot of our programs with the help of volunteers, and so that creates a beautiful opportunity for any of you who are interested in helping out on any of our day longs on the weekend. Um, We can always use your help, and it's a work trade for that day long. So uh, we also need help on Monday nights for our Dharma talks, and that also is a work trade for that event. So uh, I just wanted to say hello and tell you to um, email me or call me. Uh, Volunteering at spiritrock.org is how you get in touch with me. And I would love to help any of you help us. So thank you very much.
0: I'm glad I'm here again. Are any people here who were not here ever before? What's your name? We- not this class. Where do you live? How come you decided to come this morning? Oh, good. I know Sean, so I could say a nice word about him, yes. <laughs> so then you can say Sylvia said back. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks. I'm glad you're here. Who else is the first time that they hear? Yeah, what's your name? And why did you decide to come this morning?
2: <laughs>
0: well, that's great. Where do you live? Oh, so it's not so far. Good. You know, actually, those apps are good. I mean, I don't have them on my phone, but I know about them. And uh, sometimes people say, "Well, sixty seconds. What can you do in a sixty-second app?" You can do something in a sixty-second app. Uh, there's a um, there's a uh, publishing company in the East Bay. That has um, that has the the custom of having a, a meditation bell, not a big one like that, but a little one in in their office, and every day somebody else is a meditation monitor, and at various times in the day, I think once at least in the morning and once in the afternoon, at a random time, not anything that's announced, there's a bell. And everybody stops wherever they are and whatever they're doing. I've never been there when it happens, but I know about it. But I think that must be so funny because someone's in the middle of telling a story dramatically and it goes, ding. So you remember when you're a child and you play, uh, what's it called, that game? Freeze dance. Freeze. Freeze what? Freeze dance. Freeze dance. So you have to freeze until they say something else. So you don't have to freeze and stay like that. You have to just stop talking. Halfway through a, a word, you stop, but you can put your arms down. You know, you can. You can, if you want, close your eyes. But you're standing, you stand, sitting, you sit for about a minute, and then it goes, and everybody continues themselves from where they were. And I think about it as just like a really great. Idea. It's like an app, but it was even before they had the app. Uh, it's uh, the publishing company. Whose name the second I have not re- I have forgotten. And it publishes Thich Not Han's books and it'll come to me in a second. Shambhala? No, it's not Shambhala, it's got Parallax. a special. Hmm? Parallax. Parallax, thank you very much. Parallax Press does it. They've been doing it forever and from before the apps, actually. But it's like makes sense. It's like we have many of us. Uh, grew up in traditions where one day of a week you didn't work. Many people grew up in communities where you stopped one day a week. Um, in New York, there, there was communities that stopped on Sundays and communities that stopped on Saturdays. And now we have a 724 economy. Nobody stops, apparently. So the whole idea that in the middle of a that forward-moving life, you take a little time, like a minute, to just regroup really it takes like a moment to regroup we'll sit and uh... I want to find out who else is new here but this morning seriously I needed to be as I said next door uh... on an online class a webinar from nine to ten and uh, so I got there just just before nine and um, I was rushing, so I went to the restroom there on, the, on the upstairs where I was, there are two restrooms. So that I, I could preface but by saying, wow, well, I'll tell you the whole story later on, what went on in my life before that this morning, so that there were numbers of things that had really <laughs> provoked irritation. How many people got annoyed at something this morning, so far, before they came? <laughs> Anybody got annoyed? Traffic on the Richmond Bridge, how many people got annoyed about that? <laughs> something other than traffic? What? You know, little things, you get annoyed, but you don't even think about it because you're so used to getting annoyed at tra- traffic on the <laughs> Richmond Bridge. It's like not worth an annoy. But in the meantime, it's doing something to your mind. So I had a number of those things, some more significant. And I get there, and now because of various traffic things, I have a few moments, and I'm rushing to go to the restroom before that. Webinar starts, I rush down the hall, and there are two of them, and there's a sign, big sign on one of them, please do not use this restroom because there are birds nesting in the window. See that, everybody did the same thing, Uh. (laughs) ah. Even if you didn't do it, didn't you feel that? Like, ah. So one of the people who were there working early, she said, you wanna see the birds? I said, yeah, I do. So then we over, she shows me how to open the door and creep in and stand up on a on a, a step stool and look at the birds. She says, Not high enough here, step up on the toilet seat. I'll hold your hand. So I said, No, no, nothing bad happened. <laughs> she was taking care of me. You don't ask old women to step up on in toilet seats without holding them. Step up here. So I step up. And there are birds in there. There are three not insignificant. They're not so young. They're just They're not fledged yet, but they're there. And uh, she said the mama is not there. She gets all upset when anybody comes around, so she's probably left. But all of a sudden, it was like 30 seconds. I said, what's happening? Dawn said, come in with me. I'll show you the birds. Careful, I'll show you how to do it. And I thought to myself, two people being careful about three baby birds in a nest in West Marin just like canceled the whole annoyance from the morning. You know, you think this is such a profound annoyance. I'm annoyed at X and Y and Z and that. But not in that moment I wasn't. And those kind of moments, it's like a Thich Nhat Hanh Bell moment. You say, OK, I have a chance now. It's like a break in the clouds, Cape Canaveral. I'm out of here. And I'm out of the growling mind at that point I can go back to. it. I probably will because I have a number of growling mind things to tell you. I want us to sit first. But I want to start by saying it doesn't take but a second to change the dial on the mind. We have a lot of stations to play. I don't have to play about the traffic or about the climate change or about this or that. I can cl- play the one that says, Three baby birds are thriving in the upstairs restroom at Spirit Rock. Who else wasn't here before today? Yes, what's your name? Thank you very much, Lester. I'm glad that you're here. I'm so glad for Dharma Seed, too, because they have I don't know, zillions of Dharma talks from everybody from forever, and they're free. And large numbers of them get listened to by prisoners, incarcerated people. So I'm very, very pleased about that. Who else? Yeah. <laughs> so, you, who are the co workers who are with you? Wow. <laughs> I knew all the people that I don't know your names because I don't recognize you. That's great. Does your work No, all of you? <laughs> Did some of the design work? Hey, listen, that's really. Look at this. Before you go out, I don't know whether you did the outside or the inside, but this place had so many millions of hours—not of person hours of working—that it had millions, but of figuring out every last possible thing. Sometime, uh, look at the floor and the grooving on the on the floor. Um, Planks when you get up at the end of class, down to the last groove that matches the top. It's really beautiful. The whole place is put together exactly perfectly. So, what are your names? What's your name? Okay, what's your name? Micah. Micah, welcome. Jess. Jess. Allison. Allison. Lucky. I'm glad you're all here. Good. And it's a beautiful day to show off. It's always beautiful here. It's always you know what is the most beautiful? When it's torrential raining. Yeah, that's really beautiful. It's like seeing a wild movie somewhere. Okay, somebody else. Vega. You What's your name? I think it was I actually like that. <laughs> it's a good idea. Uh, uh, I think we actually ought to all come and see each other every week. Whether you know, all the better if I'm here. But one of the reasons that I am still here, first of all, I like to talk and I like to tell stories and all of those. But I also like to hear. About the importance of keeping your mind free of anger and ill will, and uh, I don't much mind who says it. I like to listen to it, and I just as well it be me who says it because I, you know, I <laughs> I particularly like the way I say it. So and it's convenient for me. I work here, so uh, uh,
2: <laughs>
0: and I know you. So, but I really think. Uh, I want to talk about, I am talking about, but we'll come back to talk about what I'd like to think about is radical integrity. I taught um, here on Sunday with uh, Grace Fisher, who will come and teach the last Wednesday of this month uh, here because both Donald and I are out of town. Uh, Grace is a new teacher starting to teach at Spirit Rock, and I'm hopeful people will meet her. And um, Grace wrote the uh, opening... Grace wrote the... Well, whatever Grace wrote, I don't have it right here. I will it in a half hour when I find it. But she said, you know, the world is polluted, and uh, uh, really it's going to take radical integrity to clean it up. Just not talking about the material pollution in the world, but the pollution of ill will... And the pollution of ire and indignation and rage and jealousy and everything else that's frightening to all of us. So. And it was she who decided we should call the day Radical Integrity, and I've been thinking about what that would demand of me. Or, Well, really, I've been thinking about what it would demand on me, and I'll offer it to you, see if it demands that of you. Because I'm a nice person, and I don't do bad things. But if I'm really, the last couple of days, I'm thinking, wait a minute, aren't you the person who's doing radical integrity? Because I just had a certain <laughs> particular feeling I would just say or do something. I said, well, you don't do that. I thought, well, all right, you still have stuff to practice about. OK, well, that's the coming attraction. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm going to say, the radical integrity is just to, for a first starter for the meditation is that it's a uh, it's an act of radical integrity to be able to sit down for a half hour and say, I am not going to let my attention be captivated by anything that I don't have to do now, whether it's something that I can think about, and imagine I'm going to have later, or something I'm going to do later that might be very pleasant, or, or I'm going to think about something that upset me this morning, or I'm going to make a plan for what I'm going to do later on, or... You don't need to. What, or I think what I need to do is to take timeouts more regularly and more regularly than one minute. One minute is good. Ding, ding. But more, at least this half hour a week. It's like a prayer service. I am praying that my mind learns to stay calmed down so that it can withstand all the buffeting around that it gets by life. is not afraid to open the newspaper in the morning and see, look, ah, look what's there. So that's really the instruction for when we meditate. I'd like to suggest to you that you sit in a way that's comfortable for you. There isn't a particular color way that you have to sit, but it's good to sit in a way that uh, your breathing comes in and out pretty easily. I probably don't say don't slump because that sounds like so casual an instruction for don't slump but don't slump, that's all (laughs) (laughs) sit in a way that's not slumping so you don't fall asleep and so that you can breathe easily and then if you're comfortable about it or when you're comfortable about it if you're comfortable about it close your eyes You can in such a beautiful room like this you can actually leave them open and let and look out the window. The idea is not to be captivated by the views, so I wouldn't suggest right now that you look at each other. Although we might at the end of the time. But in the meantime, either look outside at something quiet, like countryside or close your eyes. And let your breath come in and out just by itself don 't breathe in a special way. I like to tell people that when you fall asleep, you don 't regulate your breath and you keep on breathing so it 's just like that every once in a while, if you listen to a sleeping person, they every once in a while take a deeper breath. The breath regulates itself. And the difference between the breath regulating itself and uh, you being the sleeper is in this case, uh,
3: your mind stays awake. What's happening? There's a scripture line that says, uh, I am asleep, but my heart is awake.
0: So What I like to think I'm asleep to is all the invitations that come up that invite my attention to come away from the feelings of the breath and the peace of that moment. And occupy itself with some story about what I might or might not want or what I might or might not like or anything. Just hang out in a peaceful way with the coming and going of the sensations of the body as breath goes in and out. And Every once in a while, we'll sit probably for almost half an hour. Every once in a while, you'll find all of a sudden that your attention has been captivated by something, a long plan, strategizing about something, ruminating about something, even that you've fallen asleep, been captivated by sleepiness, but in at some moment, you say, "Whoa, I was asleep or." I completely am bewildered. I don't know where I was. Okay, but now I'm here. And my body is still breathing. And it's breathing. And it's breathing. And it's breathing. Hang out with the breathing, that's all.
2: Not on. Now it's on.
3: I'm so sorry, Ellen. I'm so sorry.
0: I don't know. Very frequently I find myself saying at this point two things. First of all, I am so buoyed up always. It's like uh the, the birds on the windowsill to the to the nth degree to um re-feel in myself the way, uh, the way I feel and the way I assume that you feel when you hear other people's stories of I'm worrying about this one and I rejoice for that one and that we don't even know the people and that our hearts are lifted up and also touched when we hear stories. <laughs> we do so much good by sharing our lives with each other, the, the ups and the downs, I, I, I'm buoyed up because I, not only because it reminds me that there are, uh, uh, what did the Buddha say, 10,000 joys and 10,000 woes in this life. It's not a mistake that they're in difficult times, but they're also wonderful times. And uh, it's hard sometimes to see them and remember them in the midst of difficult times. So when we share them, it, it's like such a pick me up for the mind. And that we all share each other's stuff. You don't even have to know the people. You know the situation. You feel, ah, or hey, yay. That we really um, connect with each other on that heart level that makes it meaningful. I'm particularly... In, at times that I'm thinking, oh, look what's happening. The headlines are so terrible. Decisions are so terrible. This is going on. That's going on. It's a pick-me-up to see, wait a minute, this is the way the world is. It has difficulties and it has joys. And it has people in it who... Um, I, I, the phrase of about the pollution being uh, the pollution in the world is people-made. Uh, so I take a lot of uh, uh, comfort from that. I'm not happy that it's there's, there's all this terrible uh, sequelae of climate disorders, but if it's people-made, it could be people responded to. So it's not something that's out of this world. I mean, enough people did enough things it could get better and in some ways. that That's, I think, what sustains the hope and the desire to change that. And I really want to say that I'm thinking a lot about uh, radical integrity. I was really looking for the... Here we go. Here's a definition of radical integrity that Grace wrote, she says, we live in a climate polluted by aggression and stress in which greed and hatred often seem to be rewarded. In these times, it is a radical act to be guided by a sense of integrity, the code of our deepest wisdom. That's what we can do by exploring, by learning from traditional teachings on ethics and wise living that can help us to move in a world from a place of uh, to a place of greater congruence with the heart, through mindfulness and loving kindness practice, we can identify the habits and impulses of our own minds that tip us into reactivity and prevent us from acting wisely. Because a wise response comes most easily from a balanced mind and tender heart that i've been saying the last weeks i think maybe years that i'm tremendously emph- interested in emphasizing the what happens as a result of mindfulness you know mindfulness is so fully established in our contemporary world everything is mindful mindful parenting that's good mindful everything mindful is good it can't be bad you know if you're doing it carefully and paying attention <laughs> it can't be bad to be mindful. paying attention, it's good for you. Uh, it, you know, mindful gardening is good. you know why not? And mindful skiing, you know, maybe go into a tree by being distracted. <laughs> but really mind, training the mind not just to know what's happening right now and what's the response in me to it, because that's how people often re- define mindfulness. I really have been emphasizing the, the end of that sentence. Mindfulness is knowing moment to moment what's happening around me and going on and coming in through all my senses. What are the, What's the response to it in me? And being able to discern what's the best thing to do. And in, implicit in that is doing it the best thing to do. And to be able to discern what's the best thing to do if there's something that you can do. And towards that end, I've been thinking a lot about what does radical integrity mean? Um, For me, it means trying to keep my mind from getting flared up by all the invitations to become indignant. Indignant. (laughs) We say, how many people got annoyed? That's a fancy name for indignant. You know, you, go, you come to the freeway, you say, why is everybody going on a freeway at the same time? Why not? They're going to work. You know, we just, the the, the city planners didn't plan on that. Uh, in the meantime, might, well, the city planners should have planned on that, snarl, snarl. Um, why is anything happening? It just is because of things that happened. But maybe they can change. And maybe if I keep my mind clear, I can make the best decisions around it. I was to, I was going to tell you about my, my particular snarls this morning, because I I really spent all day yesterday putting together materials that I'm eager to read to you or of I'll tell you about. But I didn't put them all together because it, till the last minute because I like to let them percolate around in my mind. So I got up at five o'clock this morning, which is fine. It's I get up early. I get up 5 o'clock, okay, mind clear, sit down, get the coffee, I'm going to put them all together. I'll just check my app on my phone first and see the headlines in the New York Times. So I did that. Headline in the New York Times, uh, the president is thinking of uh, taking us out of the Paris Peace Accord, to which 155 other developed nations are signatories the only people who aren't, I think, are Korea and Syria. But we're going to get out along with them. And I've, and already I feel badly about it. Uh, so that was number one thing. And I think, okay. Then the other headline was um, about a kofeifi. Do you know what a kofeifi is? <laughs> How many know, have people have so far heard the word kofeifi? which is now viral. It's a a word out of a tweet that the president tweeted in the middle of the night. It doesn't mean anything, as a matter of fact. It's a made-up word that sounds like a big deal, but that, you know, none of the... Everybody, in minutes, everybody's Twitter account was doing it, so that the word covfefe went out in everybody's Twitter, and then zillions of Twitters got all excited about what does that mean, thesaurus, dictionary, this, that. It doesn't mean anything. It's a made-up word. It's a fake word. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the president had said, you know, in the light of the negative press, Kofefi, uh, You know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is all on the way to, I'm going in the living room, I'm going to sit, and then I'm going to write how I'm going to organize this class. But then I'm thinking, then I thought, wait a minute, really? Um, This might not be the best way, because now my mind is all da-da-da-da-da. In the meantime, I see there's a piece of mail from me yesterday, which I didn't see, from a, a commentator who I know to be a very vituperative commentator off from the other side, from the people who vote differently from me. And I thought, why am I getting this mail? Flurry, flurry, flurry. You know, that's another flurry. That's an indignation that has nothing to do even what's in the mail. It's just, why am I getting this? Why not? Everybody probably got it in the whole Marin County. Now, I'll just open it. Then I read it, and it has what I think are alternative facts. So then I'm thinking, you know, flurry, flurry, flurry. Look at this. No wonder if people are getting alternative facts like this, da-da-da. But now, I'm going to write this for today. So then I thought about, uh, 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 it came out into my mind, it's funny, it's a peculiar connection, but uh, 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, maybe a lot of you have heard this story, I was on a retreat in Hawaii uh, when were wa- on the big island of Hawaii, not so far on the beach, in a retreat center that was on the south coast of the Big Island. Uh, And we had um, two-story bungalows that we were all staying in, in in rooms in these two-story bungalows. But that's how they were. And the top part of the biggest bungalow, the top of the second floor, was a meditation room because all 50 of us could sit in there. So the retreat is going along, and uh, one afternoon, what happened? The bell rang or something, something at an unusual time. I guess we were all sitting in the, in, in a, in the meditation hall. bell rang, and uh, the managers of the retreat were there, and they said, uh, "We've just had a word from the uh, a highway patrol." and the, uh, whatever you call safety, that there's been an earthquake in uh, Japan, and a very enormous wave is coming across the ocean, and it should be here between uh, 3 and 4 o'clock, or whatever it was, maybe an hour or two hence. And so they uh, they told us they're going to uh, uh, send buses from Hilo to evacuate us out. Because everybody had come on planes and then been brought by minibuses from the airport, but we didn't have cars enough to get people out. It's a long, windy road from Hilo. So they're going to send buses from Hilo. And so everybody uh, is getting up and going, you're going to go back. They said, just go to your room, get your tickets and your identification, come back. I'm going to go on the bus, don't pack. So as we're getting together to leave, another manager comes in and says, wait a minute, we just got another directive from the uh, Highway Patrol. Uh, there are no buses in Hilo. He, it, there are no buses because they're using it to evacuate Hilo. So uh, we're just on our own. So that, And you can't get out of there because we had 60 or 70 people and we had one car, and it's an hour's ride on a curly road. So they said we can't make an escape. So we said, well, how about we run in? We're just on the beach. How about we run into the interior, into the jungle? They said they specifically said don't run into the jungle, <laughs> because it's not that much higher and there's not that much room and you can't get far and that won't be as safe. They said take high ground. There is no high ground. <laughs> I mean, I mean this uh, and this happened before um, Phuket. So, which was retrospectively lucky because we none of us had visions of Phuket. They said, but they said, take matches and crackers and flashlights and uh, everything else that could keep you till a few days if you get stranded, and take them up to the second floor of where you're staying, and then stay there. So we go by mosquito uh, repellent, get all the stuff you're going to need. And run water in the tubs so you'll have clean water because maybe the water mains will be broken. So everybody does that quietly, nice, no flurry, nobody got hysterical. And we did all that, and then we sit down again, and then Joseph Goldstein, who was teaching that retreat, was sitting in the front, maybe like I am now, and behind him was, and around the whole front of the room was a big picture window like that, looking out at the horizon, so everybody's looking out there. But, you know, what would it look like to see a wall of water coming from wherever? So we're sitting. And, and he said, so, so-and-so so once asked a famous Zen master, what if you heard that the waters of the East and the waters of the West and the waters of the North and the waters of the South were all rising, what, you w- what would you do? And he said, I don't know. I guess I'd just sit. So Joseph tells that story. So we just sit. So, it, you know, just to do a little bit of a, what do you call it, explanation of the text, what I think that means is when you can't do anything about it, then you make your mind as comfortable as it can be. It's the same instruction when you're going to die, you know you're going to die, to say, okay, but not this second, it's not happening now. And now I can relax. My friend Tamara, who did die of ovarian cancer, said uh, the best line about that, I think. She, uh, she uh, was talking to me one day, and she said, you know, sometimes I'm sitting with Jim in the evening. We're talking on the phone, because she's in Florida. She, she, I'm, talk- I'm, with, watch- I'm with Jim in the, morning, in the evening sometime, and I get so upset about, you know, I'm dying. And sometimes I get so frightened. She said, I go in the next room in my meditation corner, and I sit down, and I let myself try to meditate. And all of a sudden, I finally can, and I can feel my breath coming in and out of my body. I feel my breath, and I feel my breath. And then I say to myself, I'm still breathing. So I guess I'm alive. She said, then I go back in the living room, and I sit down with Jim, and we watch the Marlins game together. I think to myself, that is so cool. You know, you finish deciding I'm not dying this minute, you go watch the Marlins game. You're not dying this minute, you sit down and meditate and train your mind. Not dying this minute, you try to unruffle it. I think what we're trying to do with all the practice that we do, paying attention to the breath, paying attention to this, paying attention to that, trying to pay attention so that our ability to pay attention to what's happening now and figure out I'm dying of uh, of something that I can't that I'm going to die of soon. It's just not happening now. Tomorrow's story is not alone. My father told me a version of it. (laughs) He said we watched the Giants game, so there's just something else going on that you can do until that that time. My friend Pat, who died a long time ago, didn't die several times. She looked like she was right close to death. And everybody came and chanted. (laughs) I see that Kate Munger is here. (laughs) Everybody came, we chanted, we carried on. She finally fell into a peaceful sleep and got up in the morning and said, I'd like to brush my teeth. They don't always just die. My friend Pat was dying, dying, dying. And I came back the next day. She's sitting up and reading the Chronicle in bed. And she said, well, I thought it was it yesterday. But it wasn't it, she said. And you know, I've done everything that I really felt that I had to do. I I worked things out with my children, and I got them comfortable to my ex-husband's new partner, and I made amends with everybody that I needed to make amends with. And I, of course, have finished my law practice, so all those people are nicely settled with new lawyers. So I got up this morning. I realized nothing else to do. I might as well read the Chronicle. You know that yeah, the uh, you know and I thought that was so cool, you know I don't know what I'll feel like doing if I get an extra day or two at the end, but I don't think I read the Chronicle, but maybe I'll do something else equally nothing i'll I'll find out something I don't know, but I think that towards that end, I have to do a fair amount of practice of saying, "What do you do when you think this is it, and is it really it?" Because this morning I sat for a couple of minutes and then I thought, you know, uh, it's probably not it. This is just a, a really, I think, undesirable thing to have happened in terms of our relationship with the rest of the world, in terms of the climate. But I think in the long run, there are enough people interested in the birds on the windowsill wanting to live to be concerned about the climate. I think that there's going to be a big uproar about this climate change. I hope so anyway. That I think to myself uh, afterwards, okay, what could I support? What could I send some money to? What should I call up? I heard yesterday about a new grassroots organizing project that's gonna work on electing different officials starting as closely near as 2015. Uh, 2018. Okay, maybe I can do something like that. There's probably something I can do other than just sit. But the best I can do to not create more is to keep my mind radically kind. I really want, most of all, not to make people into my enemies. If I have enemies, my mind is frightened, and then I feel frightened. If I see people as misguided people who maybe I could teach one more thing to, not I personally, but maybe the people who think the way I do and make the case one more time, one more time, one more time. Maybe people will begin to think in a more sharing kind of a way. Because fundamentally it has to do with sharing. It all has to do, I think, with the ability to share with other people, which depends fundamentally on the ability to see other people as yourself. And really, um, on all the levels of that, I mean, we talk about it all the time, in terms of um, diversity. Uh, how can we see all different kinds of people and and just see them as people in our very country? How can I even see people uh, who you wouldn't think of as a diverse group necessarily. I think I told you about reading um, Hillbilly Elegy. How many people read Hillbilly Elegy by, I forgot his first name, his last name is Vance. J.D. Vance, formerly a columnist, I think with the New York Times, But anyway, wrote this book and now has gone back to live in Tennessee in the town that he grew up in Um, because to begin to see that low-income poor people (coughs) who worked in in coal and in other, other industries that don't exist who voted in a way that I didn't vote our people also it was very good for me as a lesson and everybody's a person. What I really wanted to bring to you today, as I want to get to it before it's too late, is not being afraid of people. I'm really not being afraid, but not being afraid of people. Yeah, we'll do this one first because I don't want to actually run out of time and I'll feel bad about this. I read this book because it came in the mail on... It couldn't have been Monday because that was a holiday came in the mail on Saturday and I started it on Monday and then and then I I started it on Sunday night and I read it all day Monday and I finished it and then I could not sleep most of Sunday uh, all, most of Sunday night it was so distressing to me but I think it's worthwhile knowing about and I'm going to read you a part of it. Um, Also, it's written by a writer who lives right here in Marin. Her name is Meredith May. It's called I Who Did Not Die. And uh, it's about... Zahed Haftlang was 13 years old when he joined Iran's paramilitary, where he spent six years fighting in the war after capture by the Iraqi army He spent nearly two years as a prisoner of war. He eventually became a merchant sailor and traveled worldwide. He's now raising two children with his wife in North Vancouver, British Columbia, where he owns an auto repair shop. Najab Abood was brought up in a middle-class Iraqi family and was conscripted at 18, serving eight years in the army. Afterwards, he managed a falafel restaurant for two years, but at age 28, he was called back when the Iran-Iraq War broke out in 1980. After two years of fighting, he was captured and spent the next 17 years suffering in Iranian prisons as a prisoner of war. When he was finally released in 1999, he emigrated to Canada, where his brother lives. He owns a moving company in Vancouver. Meredith May spent 16 years as a feature writer at the San Francisco Chronicle where her 2004 narrative series on a war-wounded Iraqi boy won the Penn USA Literary Award for journalism and was shortlisted for the Pulitzer Prize. The younger of those boys, you know, it doesn't matter really uh, which side and either of them on. I, I sometimes confuse myself. The chapters go back... One chapter is um, z- uh, Zahed and it speaking, and the next chapter is Najab uh, speaking. And what Meredith May has done is be the scribe, be the maker of it into a coherent story, and write it down. This is a story, the, uh, the really younger of these two boys, who is... Um, irani yes um, who's the irani he is the irani guy yeah is conscript uh, joins uh, fakes a parental permission uh and joins with his next door neighbor who's his good friend joins uh a paramilitary group um finds a child army situation, and it turns out through some fluke, and the the somebody gets hurt, and the the person in charge of these boys actually drilling is uh, notices that he knows how to tie a tourniquet because he's used a shoelace to tie a tourniquet. And he said, "How did you know how to do this?" He said, "Well, my next door neighbor was good at this kind of stuff. She lived in a rural village." He said, "Okay, I need a medic. You can be my medic." So he trains with him, and at one point, later on, they've gone through some battles. Something really catastrophic happens, like one, the, whichever army makes it, disrupts a dam, so it, it floods a whole valley, and really thousands of people are killed. And he is sent in with the medics to find out if there are any of his side there to rescue them. Everybody's dead and drowned in mud. It's terrible. I'm sorry to even tell it to you. He finds one person who's moving. And I'll then read it to you. Oops. Sorry about that. He's trying to get away. He's looking through where to start. I shine my light, he comes upon a trench. If I could just hide in the trench until the gunfire settled, I could continue to search searching the bunkers later. I jumped down into the trench, landing on top of a dead Iraqi soldier, curled in a fetal position. Helmets and ammunition boxes and combat boots were sca- scattered everywhere. I shined my light toward one end of the trench and saw the door to a bunker. I approached slowly through an S-shaped entrance that led to a large room with cement walls and floor, obviously built for high-ranking officers, five or six of whom were collapsed in a haystack of bodies. I poked them with a rifle but got no response. Just to be safe, I gathered all their weapons and piled them in the farthest corner out of their grasp. I turned to go, and then I heard a sound, a low, uh... I whipped back around, and the man at the bottom of the pile was looking at me through half-lidded eyes. Instinctively, the medic in me pulled the corpses off him, and he gasped for air when the air rushed back into his lungs. I jumped back and hunched down, ready to spring on him if he tried to attack, but he just lay there moaning and mumbling something. His, da- his tan desert fatigues was soaked red from his chest to his waist, and he had an open gash on his forehead and another on his arm. I hoped he would die just then and that these moans were make- he was making would be his last. Then he turned his head and looked directly at me and said something. I don't understand Arabic. That means he is the Irani boy, soldier, then speaks Farsi, but I think I caught one word of it, Muslim. It came out like Muzim. I stood and put my finger on the trigger, but my shaking hands made it impossible to fix on a point. Then he lifted his hand and weakly reached for his shirt pocket. This Arab was going to blow us both up, thinking he's got a grenade, you know. I dove to reach his grenade first, but my fingers... Touched paper instead, and I pulled out a pocket-sized Koran. I slumped onto the ground, now the one gasping with relief. Every soldier I knew carried a Koran into battle for protection. And I guess all the Iraqis did, too. I looked back at the wounded man to make sure he wasn't reaching for anything else. Muslim, Muslim, he moaned. There was something hidden in the book. I suspected money after watching the other soldiers pillage so many dead bodies. I'd learned that the Koran everyone carried doubled as a wallet. I held it open on my palm, and the pages fluttered back to reveal a photograph tucked inside. I saw a woman with olive skin and dramatic eyebrows holding an infant to her chest. The baby's face was in profile, but it was so young that its skin was still bright red. The woman's dark eyes cast a spell like she could look straight into my secrets. There was something about her gaze, a sadness, that made me want to hold her hand and tell her everything was going to be okay. I knew I was holding his family in my hands. These were the people who loved him, who would die inside if I killed him. She was so beautiful, like the kind of wife I would want someday. And it would be wrong to ruin her life, and even more evil to take a baby's father. This soldier had a life that wasn't here, that wasn't supposed to end with me shooting him in a bunker. Something had brought him to this war that was out of his control, because why else would he leave such a beautiful family behind? The Iraqi smiled weakly at me, and that's when I noticed that we both were the same. We both had two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. Why was I supposed to hate him? He had never harmed me. I, managed to, I had managed to get this far in the war as a medic without killing anyone, and I wasn't gonna start now. If I put a bullet in his temple to end his misery, then the guilt would haunt me forever. Or I could walk away, but letting him suffer was more inhumane than taking his life. Or I could be merciful. Earlier, you okay? I read it in one day because you can't leave it. You have to finish it. Uh, You have to know that earlier in his life, he's among the oldest of nine children. He's got a wrathful, violent father, beating him indiscriminately. And his next-door neighbor, family's next-door neighbor, came over with his wife one day and begged his parents, could they please take this child? They'd like to raise him. They see that the family's having a lot of difficulty. They have so many children. Could we? Keep, could he keep him, and raise him a little bit? And he did. And as he's raising him, he was a truck driver, and he would take him on the truck for long distance hauling, and he would talk to him, which is earlier in the book. He said he would say to me things like, and then this is one of the things that the driver said to him. You must be good to people. Are you listening to me? You must be good to people. The man who was good to him, what he did is he actually ran off after a while, and and not only that, but he took his friend who was the son of these people and caused them a great deal of grief by taking the son, and the two of them ran off and joined the army. So he doesn't kill him. Actually, the other person lives. He does tremendous heroics. He goes to his, he goes to the um, medic tent and gets uh, transfusions. Although he's never given that person a transfusion, he's been there when uh, he's seen doctors do it. So he teaches himself to give transfusions and he keeps them alive, and he drags him out of wherever they are, and he get, eventually finds somebody else who he gets to help him, put him on a truck that is taking wounded um, Iraqis to an Ir- Iranian uh, prison camp. And then that person is imprisoned in the most terrible conditions. And by and by the Iraqi is also imprisoned, but they both get out eventually. And, in the end, they, by accident, meet in a, some kind of governmental office in British Columbia and uh, manage to recognize each other after the war and on the back cover is a fr- picture of the two of them as old men. but in the meantime, the people that you get to meet who are their mothers and fathers and women that they love and children that they have, they die, most of them, in the most terrible rubble. At one point, they say, one of them says, they talk a little bit about the, the man who saves his life, who's then a boy, some years later, is wounded himself and really unconscious for some weeks. And he opens his eyes, and he says, uh, and some really beautiful woman, who's a nurse, uh, is offering, uh, offering him some water. She said, uh, um, you've been here two weeks, I'm your nurse. I looked to my right and left, and saw soldiers played out on cots, filling up the large room. They took most of the shrapnel out of you, but there's still a piece in your brain. Are you in pain, she said. It was hard to keep a beautiful face and focus because there was a bandage over my left eye. My head, I felt, was covered with gauze. Uh, I'm not in pain when you're here, I said. I know that's corny, but this was the reward for getting wounded. I was starting to think I, it, it might have been worth it. Meeting this woman, she rolled her eyes expertly, and I realized I wasn't the only flirt in the building. I tried to laugh, but immediately winced in pain. She set a cup of water next to my bed. I reached for it, but I needed help drinking. She tipped the cup to my lips and waited for my reaction. Do you need cooler water or warmer water? Should I bring you juice? Her question sent my mind spinning. No one had ever paid that much attention to my needs. So in all my 15 years... I'd never considered what type of water I preferred. It was too strange to have someone trying to kill you one week, and someone trying to give you a perfect cup of water the next. You read this and you think, it's bizarre. It's totally bizarre. War is bizarre. Earlier on, when he is uh, when he is signing up. Uh, He's going with his friend in the morning, and he sees it, that there's a there's a loudspeaker uh, that uh, announces morning prayers. Is also uh, whipping people up, playing uh, uh, nationalistic songs, and saying, "If you want the privilege of meeting um, uh, some saint, you'll join the jihad to liberate the holy city of such and such." You'll join the martyrs who ensure your place in paradise. There was a m- knot of people pushing to get inside. Uh, Omid and I elbowed our way through the crowd, slipping between legs and dodging other boys doing the same. I guess the army took men too old or broken to join the regular army too because I saw men with gray hair and hunchbacks also trying to get through the front door. Everyone was shouting at once about defending Islam, whipped up by the music. All I can say is that uh, uh, they were frothing like hunting dogs. It wasn't clear to me why we were fighting Iraq. But the Ayatollah Khomeini had said that the war was a gift from Allah because it was a chance to give Islam to the whole world. Islam Shmislam, I just wanted to stop being aimless. You know, it's like funny, but it's sad. Islam from Islam, I just wanted not to be aimless. The people who join the volunteer army that the United States has is people, are not your children or mine. They're people who don't have jobs and don't have college educations because they couldn't get them and don't have a future and don't have a trade. And one of the things that if they don't get killed, or don't get emotionally so wounded that they can't have a life anymore, is the Army is one of the few places where you can actually learn a trade if you come home from it. But at what price? I don't know how many former Army people, there was some huge number, like 50 50 veterans of this latest series of conflicts in the the Middle East, East, Fifty people a day are committing suicide because they're opiate addicted or because they're just terrified by memories of what they did. What are we doing? This is not a crazy this is it's a crazy thing. I had one more thing to mark to tell you. Well, it doesn't matter. That, the thing that really uh, upset me so much are here are these young boys quite soon thinking, why are we doing this? But you get whipped up by martial music and you're going to meet this and that and you're going to be a martyr and you're going to be celebrated. And it's a terrible thing. They point out several times in the book later on that that war ended 10 years later with hundreds of thousands of people having been killed and not and the line that they were fighting over of land did not move one inch one way or another. hundreds of thousands of people dead. the line that they fought about did not move and fundamentally it was fighting about real estate and these boys were saying that uh, in this very book, you know, and their young boys saying they're doing this but for some reason said, I'm so sorry about this, I can't figure out why it is. For some reason, the Ayatollah and uh, uh, Saddam Hussein cannot come to terms about that one line and where it divides the countries. But we're actually brothers. Really, the line you tell me, I think the line that's uh, that's the really stunning line is he had two eyes and a nose and a mouth. You know, that uh, just like me. You know, even the bird. The three birds that they're trying to save in there they don't even have a mouth. I don't know if they have a nose, they have a beak, but it's a living thing. And all those people are creeping around in that building to avoid disturbing their nests. I think that's the kind of gene that we most of us have. It's just not, it's not, it's not tolerable to go out and kill somebody. You get very sick. Are those birds coming back? Something's coming back. Oh, is it too dear? <laughs> need to think about what would it take, uh, and then thinking about what we want to do in terms of not only ending all war. We are the largest... The United States is the largest manufacturer and seller of munitions in the world. Did you know that? I don't know if we're the largest polluter, but right up there. What are we doing? A while back, I heard somebody say that she was buying um, property somewhere in the, in the Rockies up high. With lots of people who are now building up from Aspen or up from other places. Great for skiing, and it's also high up. So if the climate changes and the water level comes up, which is, I'm so sorry, I don't know how to fix this, so I'm going to put it here. We'll see what happens, uh, that um, that millions of people are going to be need to evacuate from their homes. Where will they go, and how will they do it? And in the meantime, will the air be tolerable to breathe? You know what? Both for reasons. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a sign that I've talked too much and I should now say, what do you think? It's not a sign of that. It's just a sign that the equipment is crappy, but we'll fix it. <laughs> but I do know. I do want to know how do you how do you feel about that. I want to read a thing like that and then leave it up in the air. What do you want to add to that discussion? I really think that what makes me... F- oh, here's what I want to add. This is my last word. No, I'm not going to give the last word. I'm going to give the last word. Three minutes to 12. It's almost finished what I said, but not really. What should we do? You could hold on to this and speak in for the would like and let could introduce it to other people talk. times. Can I have a question? Oh, uh-huh. brilliant. W- women. Okay. All right, here we are. I have something else to say, but not yet. Oh, good, good. So who wants to say something else? How do you feel when I read that to you? Who feels terrible? Good. How about, we'll do this right now. How about look at a person on your right or your left somewhere. Look at a person that you know. All right, so hold their hand for a second. Make sure everybody is holding something. And smile at them, something, you know... These are the people that I mean, these people these people you know all share your point of view. There's no way that you can even think of them as your adversary, let alone your enemy. Because they're all here this morning. They all believe, as you do, that anger is never ended by anger, by love alone, as anger ended. This is the eternal wisdom. So it's nice to hold somebody's hand. Look at the person and think a good wish for them in and out. Okay, now one minute each, half a minute each. Make a good wish for them. Tell them a blessing. Ready, go. You have an ease in your life. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Now the other person gives a blessing. Person two giving a blessing.
2: okay much better you know i'm looking
0: around and everybody's face looks a million times better so i really uh was that that was that was like no keep on we're all finished but you can keep on because i see that you're totally (laughs) into it
3: it made a difference doesn't it all
0: of a sudden you remember sweetness in the world right i didn't forget how to love because you hear a story like that with his young boys you know like 13 14 years old he's picking through bodies god forbid in a in a in a trench with dead bodies all around ah but then you look at a real person and you remember that you have the capacity to bless they have the capacity to bless makes me want to cry actually should be going around blessing each other that we're still alive and instead we send out people to kill each other it's a bizarre, bizarre thing so, okay, leaving that for a second now, what do you want to say? I think maybe I left you speechless before so you couldn't say anything what do you want to say? there you go, here comes and then Nancy, and then Susan plenty of people have something to say I'm just wondering what happened to the wave. Oh, the wave never came. <laughs> but you know what? While we, this, is, this is an important part of that story. While we're sitting there, everybody's supposed to sit with your eyes closed. Everybody's sitting with their eyes closed with me every once in a while looking. <laughs> and what I realized in myself is, because I, you know, I've told this story a lot, so I remember it well. Is What I realized is that I was really like worried, like watching the wave. I finally said to myself, sweetheart, the only thing you can do, either it's coming or it's not coming, take a breath, take a breath, take another breath, take another breath. And then I realized that my heart rate slowed down a little bit and that I composed myself. And this is the important part of the story. Then I opened my eyes and I looked next to me as my friend James Barres. And I'd known James a lot by that time a long time, I also knew that his wife Jane, who's also my friend, was pregnant with her first child, and that Adam already had a name, but he hadn't been born yet, and the first thought I had was, I really hope we get out of here, because he has to be there with Jane, and then I thought, ah, look at that, that gives me all goose pimples, you know, that what happens when you calm down your mind is you don't only think, how am I going to get out of here, but how are we all going to get out of here? Really, 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 that's the one part of the story that I wanted to be sure to tell. We stay locked up in the prisons of our own, how am I going to be all right, until we calm down, and then we think, how are we going to be all right? How can we make a climate decision that keeps the, the world going? How can we make a decision to stop selling munitions? How can we, however it is, why is the National Rifle Association, so uh, uh, why is it, have they bought influence with so many senators? Why couldn't we just not have so many guns? It doesn't happen uh, that people shoot them, themselves so much in other places as they do here. It's wild, but really we're going to have to calm down and the proximal result of calming down and not falling asleep, of keeping yourself awake. The proximal result, the proximal cause of doing that and the result of it is seeing that everybody's got, everybody's living has eyes and nose and some kind of a mouth and wants to live and you can't kill it. Just like that boy can't kill this other man. were not you touched by that story tremendously? I can't do it. You know, however much or you get whipped up with stories where they're the enemy. I really think the uh, the net result of radical. I, I want to have a mind that really is trained not to pick up things and and run with it. From from from, let's make war to let 's run right over to the neighbor this afternoon when we get home and tell him that really they have to start stop parking way out into the turnaround because i can 't get out in the morning and i can 't get here and how many times did we discuss that already? How many times we discussed it many times it still happens, but not every day and i don 't have to get whipped up about it and i don 't have to go over and make a fuss about it it doesn 't happen that all often. And a little bit of friendliness between neighbors and a tight turnaround. So sometimes maybe I have to back back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So what? It took me 15 extra seconds. I do not have to whip up my mind, his mind, anything else, by following through. Really, to really, really... uh, Radical integrity means the integrity to keep my own mind in a blessing mood. Maybe sometime I'll encounter him in the driveway... And in a blessing mood, may you live and thrive, but may you park less cars in our driveway. <laughs> Maybe I'll feel like doing it. But until I can do it in a blessing mood, I don't want to do it. Because I, I really, I, not out of even liking him, I don't like him that much, he parks in my driveway, but I can bless him anyway. Now this is a seriously important, important thing. Okay, so who was going to say, there you go, Nancy. And then Ellen's behind you, and then somebody else had a hand up. Susan. Okay. Nancy, Ellen, Susan. Okay, next to
1: my mom. Um I was noticing just a profound sense of sadness, and even though I was loving just the looking and the sense of flowing back and forth of blessings, I was aware of um,
0: what a unique opportunity it can be, and how Often and how many people are walled off and even actively refuse to
1: participate in that kind of change. And it was—I was just profoundly moved in a really, really sour, sorrowful way. Um, going back a bit, when you started with turning on your app this morning, and that sort of inclination we all have about what calamity might have happened while we were asleep. Um, my question is, you mentioned a while ago that if we called our congressmen every day and just registered our, our grievances or just contacted them on a regular basis, it would be a grassroots effort. Um, given, obviously this is all under the political umbrella, which I apologize to anybody if I'm stepping over bounds here, but what do you recommend now that... What else can we do in terms of registering our grievances in a way that is, embraces meta and it's not just reaction? Um, what can we do that, for example, what you talked about the mun- munition sales we just did to Saudi Arabia, um, the climate control? I mean, there's a long list every day. Um, what can we do that will show a benevolent Effort on a grassroots basis for citizens to register concerns.
0: Thank you, Ellen. Really, I wish I knew. I have a semi answer in a second or a semi response, but I wish I knew now because, uh, you know, I could call every day or write every day, and it's a small effort. What could we really do? So I want to talk about it for a minute, but I'm going to make sure that Susan says what she says, and then I'll tell you my idea. Susan, what were you going to say?
4: Yeah, I just thank you so much, Sylvia, for sharing this this writing with us today, and it just makes me realize, you know, the power of good writing and how this woman was able to show us, you know, the external that we're all very familiar with. This is an Iraqi soldier. This is a, an Iranian soldier. And what she did was open up that, you know, into the internal, and how when you crack open into that space, what you find is humanity, and that everybody has that potential, and that probably... Um, more soldiers than not who go through that experience end up feeling that way, and maybe that 's why they do drugs and commit suicide and 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 go astray because they discover that humanity in themselves in the middle of war
0: that, Thank you very much really i think um in this, just it's, in a certain way it seems um that must be so. I don't, I, you know, say yes, yes, that's true. I think it must be true because, you know, sometimes when you, we've talked so many times about human beings for the most part having integrity meters in themselves and the mind by itself does a spontaneous moral inventory. So we feel bad when we did something that caused somebody else pain. But if we did it purposely, it's a really, really terrible thing. So, I was going to uh oh it's it's somebody's somebody's it is noon so and I wish I had a fuller answer, but I think this is the ongoing question for us to have, not, not somebody's app <laughs> everybody's app is telling them what to do um I heard yesterday about a new or not new, but a grassroots operation for f- raising uh, consciousness and active, a- for activists who want to start now to do grassroots, but I forgot the name of it, Oren. Okay, so do you want to run over and give Orin the... Can you, would you say that? No, no, so say it into the microphone so that the people out in the world who are going to get a tape of it will hear. It's called Bend the Arc. And uh, it is actually a Jewish grassroots organization that seeks to um, change the conversation and uh, start a whole electoral process that can address these um, very pressing issues. Um, if I could just um, join with um, the individual who um, brought Susan. Um, my indignation also... Um, arises when I check the news and I'm able in a way to sort of calm my mind enough to get the information and then once I have the information the indignation rises again um, which doesn't always put me in a prayerful or blessing mood so if you could no, and it doesn't always put me in a I mean, when I read this this morning I thought to myself, when I heard about it, first of all, I read it, which is much better than hearing about it, but I read it, and the, the realizing that what I have to do first is just get my mind to stop telling the stories, because what, what that does is it, does, it gets in the way of my thinking about it clearly. As I was thinking, who should I call, who could I register my discontent? What should I send money for? I've got organizations that I send money to. But I realized that the first thing I have to do is to say to myself, wait a minute, get a grip. You have to take some breaths in and out. It's, it's like my friend Tamara. It's like uh, I'm breathing, I therefore must be alive. Uh, okay, now what will I do? Because otherwise I won't make a good choice about what to do. I think, I think that we are called upon and everyone in the Buddhist world is writing about it now because they, they are coming very much from a stance of people really uh, spontaneously equate Buddhism with uh, a dedication to peace which often gets mistaken for a dedication to pacifism. And it really is a dedication to, to peace in one's own mind an active response in a wise way when there's something that you can do. So it's only in my own mind that I need to, like, get a grip, uh, calm down. And I am, I go from being indignant when I'm lucky and I can turn off the indignant or soothe the indignant. The indignant is really a, a, a permutation of fear because I'm frightened. Uh oh, this is what's going to happen. But I don't know it yet. That it's going to happen. Uh, it might happen, but it isn't happening yet. By the way, it's a—it's not a good place to finish because there's so much to say. But this—this uh, this, uh, particular issue of spirituality and health came in the mail yesterday, and there's a really lovely article called um, mm-hmm. "Wait a minute, lovely article." What to do what to do when your mind starts to growl <laughs> and it's an interview it says an interview with Sylvia Boorstein so here's a picture of the mind starting to growl and I honestly had forgotten that Sam Mowie called me two months ago and said could I interview you because I'm a writer for spirituality and health and I said sure and he did it and it's a really good interview and uh, <laughs> You know, I read it this morning. That was good for me, too, because I said, you said that so well. Uh, Would you like it if I had this duplicated for you for the next time I'm back? Yeah, Yeah, Because it's really good. It's really good. It has to do with... uh, What did I say? It has to do with what to do when the mind starts to growl. Making the point around that all the pictures are about the mind starts to growl. Uh, making the point that the mind starts to growl when it's frightened. An animal starts to growl when you're coming into its territory. It doesn't mean I'm going to attack you now. It says, I'm thinking about attacking you now. My my dog does that. It sits on the lap nicely, 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 and if he gets annoyed, he starts to growl. And if I pat him then and say, it's okay, don't worry about it, he calms down. So I think I'm the same way if I see something that's frightening me. And it frightens me not because it's happening already, but because I think this is definitely going to lead to the end of the planet. I don't know, certainly it might, but I don't know if it definitely is yet. So I don't know if it's time to... Somebody said to me, let me know when I have enough... Do I have enough information to freak out about this? And I you know I, I probably was being funny with the answer or trying to be funny and I'd say, you know, it's never a good time to freak out about things. It's always a good idea to be able to figure it out. But but really we don't have to freak out. We could say, Okay, this really makes me sad. The under the angry is always sad or disappointed. This makes me just grief stricken actually. Look what's happening to the world. Grief stricken but out of compassion for the world, really, to have some reasonable response. I'm sorry that it's 12. You have to go home and I have to go home. And uh, I think this is what we're here to do. This is our mission. So come back. I'm in Mexico next week, but I'm back the week after. But come back next week because Samuel will be here. And he was always talking about the same thing, isn't he? More or less. There's only one thing to talk about. That's it. That's why we're here. So may all beings, and you especially, and everybody you meet, and everybody in your family, and everybody in your community, and everybody that you meet today and later and tomorrow, and until we meet again, may you be carried along with the spirit of young birds being born and the care that people take of them and how you and other people manifest that caring can spread its contagious into the world. That would be a good thing to spread may all beings be peaceful and happy you mm-hmm.
2: Thank <laughs> you. Mm-hmm. Hey.
3: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed continue these offerings, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.